welcome back to your list, My Command, the show where we finally go through our lists of shame the only way we know how, peer pressure. So, um, I am here, Derek is here to peer pressure me into finally watching Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, a certified classic, I think, of of film, you know, Sidney Poitier, uh, you've got, you know, the Hollywood, uh, the Hollywood team, um, of Spencer Tracy and, you know, you know who, whoever that chick is, uh, with the wobbly voice, Kevin Hepburn, you know, whoever. Um, this is one of those, like, as a film person, as a person who cares about race relations and being progressive, it is kind of shocking that I haven't seen. Guess it. it's like such a part. I think it's one of those. There's movies that are such a part of the cultural landscape that part of you almost feels like. I, I mean, do I really need to? I mean, I feel like I know what that movie is. Do I need to watch this? Like I, you know, it's 2023. This movie came out in 1967. I kind of. I feel like you want to think that we're past this, but we're definitely not when it comes to this. So um, was this a movie that you had seen before? Or was this a first time watch for you as well? Oh, it's a holiday classic. <laughs> <laughs> Just reliving your past. <laughs> I mean, uh, every uh, Christmas Thanksgiving, it's, you know, instead of uh, watching the 10 commandments at, uh, around Easter, we watch. Guess who's I love how you put that out there. Like that's something everyone does. Like, like we all in, sit in around. Kentucky. We do. I <laughs> Historically, yes. <laughs> so, have you actually seen this movie before? Yes. Okay. Um, probably two or three times, at least. Um, and I've actually always found it to be somewhat of an, an a more enjoyable experience that I than what I'm expecting. Right, right, right. All right, you go into it like, okay, um, for its time, maybe there may be some progressive elements, but I'm going to be sitting here in like cringe mode the entire time. And you're not the yeah. entire time. <laughs> not the entire time, yes. I think um, that aspect where you're kind of waiting for it to be really awkward and really terrible, I think comes from the title because I think it's misleading. Because, I mean, for the the few people who don't know anything about Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, it's about an interracial couple who have just started seeing each other and are deciding they want to run off together and get married. So they're going home to her parents to break the news. Um, and then later in the movie, you find out, actually, his parents are coming too. So when you first hear about this, you probably think Guess Who's Coming to Dinner refers to Sidney Poitier showing up at the White Household in San Francisco, uh, coming to dinner. But really, that's not the drama of it. The drama is, oh, now both families are coming together and getting this news at the same time. Um, so it's a, it's actually a little gentler than I thought it was going to be. You know, you don't really have too many moments of Sidney Poitier, you know, they call me Mr. Tibbs, Sidney Poitier. You don't really get that. You get the very kind, gentle suave debonair version of Sydney, which is great so happy like it, you know it's weird I think Sydney Poitier is kind of known as one of the great American actors but also weirdly undervalued because I think a lot of people and I'm just going to come out and say it I think a lot of people who say that haven't actually seen a lot of his movies like you just kind of go yeah yeah Sydney, it's going to be in 20 years it's going to be like Meryl Streep yeah yeah Meryl Streep is great yeah yeah sure totally Sydney, Sydney Poitier I think gets kind of the same treatment and you're right in assuming that he's great 
but you really like as you watch him on screen like i was just kind of stunned like god damn that is a screen presence like you feel it immediately almost to the detriment of the movie because i think the female lead is kind of kind of a nothing performance you know uh, just yeah. a nice nice um kind uh not worldly white woman <laughs> like sure, it's just sure. like uh so, kind of um sure. uh the how do i put this uh he is the <laughs> the greatest uh that we that, that black america has to offer right he's sophisticated he's well-traveled he's well-spoken he's a doctor he teaches uh-huh. at all of these ivy league universities Helps uh, out the less fortunate, yes, like just yes. perfect, the and, perfect man. <laughs> it's just enough so he can marry that white woman. Lucky for him, you have to be the absolute like, <laughs> like. I mean, okay, so this the, actually... the basic twenty-three-year-old white woman. <laughs> right. So this is um, this I think kind of cues into my major issue with this movie, and I think it's yeah. because I'm watching it not in 1967, sure. but in 2023. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of color blindness talk. Oh, in this. Yes. Um, I actually took notes. That's what I yeah, wrote down. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Even mm. coming from Sidney Poitier, sure. I think this is a line that would never make it in a modern re- and I think they did actually do a modern retelling of this. But I'm not watching Ashton Kutcher and Bernie Mac do you this. Saw, you never saw Guess Who? Nope. Nope. Absolutely what, not. What were you Refused. doing? Like 05 or 06? <laughs> Something me? something better with my time, I hope. Um, but there's a line in here where he's talking to his own father and he says, you know, that's the difference between you and me. You see yourself as a black man and I, I see myself as a man. And it's like now you look at it and you're kind of like, ah, uh, yeah, but your blackness is important to your experience sure. in the world. And it feels a little bit like, like this had to be written by a white guy, right? Like this is... <laughs> This is absolutely so. It's like this idea that you have to be abs- as a black man in this role. You have to be so amazing and so perfect and kind and genuine and successful and loving and all these things. Like you said, just to have the barest bit of a chance to be accepted by white progressives. And I don't think that's what they were trying to get across. But if you're going to make this movie for major audiences in the late 60s, you kind of need a Sidney Poitier. And he's really the, I think, the only person at this time who was that accepted by woke. It's like him and Harry Belafonte were like the only sure. people who you could have casted this role. Who had this like- stature... <laughs> Regardless of, I, I hate to say, regardless of race, but had the stature. Right. Uh, I mean, like, you know, fast forward to our next episode sure. we're going to do. You're not going to cast Velvet Van Peebles in this role. This is a very no. different movie. I mean, I'm pretty sure there's a scene that would mimic that. But no. You, yeah. No. Uh, it's not. The, well, this is essentially, this is your. Uh, I, uh, okay. Put it like this. This is white America's vision of uh, mm-hmm. like Martin Luther King era, like black, yep. white. Uh, um, relations, right, mm-hmm. to that degree, where it's like, okay, if we can get to a point as a society that these things, these silly little uh, social constructs such as race, um, um, <laughs> don't, uh, you know, are not allowed to kind of be part of the conversation, and we're just people, then this is this is fine, right? And it's, and, I mean, it's like that in a lot of professional um, arenas as well. This the old school discussion on multiculturalism used to be color blindness. And not diversity, not cultural sensitivity, cultural competence, cultural humility, all of those things. That was the old way of looking at it. Well, I'm not a racist. I don't see color at all, right? Or I'm, um, 
not sexist. I, I don't. I wouldn't care if you were male or female. I just want you to do the job, right? Like th- those kinds of right. conversations were progressive for its time. Totally. And that's why when I go back and I watch this film, I'm like, okay, there are elements of it again that are incredibly cringe. Uh, but then there are some small moments where I, I kind of give them the benefit of the doubt mm-hmm. that uh, you, you can tell that – I'm not going to say they're pushing the envelope by any stretch. But even like the moment with Catherine Hepburn in the car or talking to her friend, Ooh. which I I love – I mean, she ro- that, ro- roasted her. That oh, amazing. man. so great. Now I have some instructions for you. I want you to go straight back to the gallery. Start your motor. When you get to the gallery, tell Jennifer that she will be looking after things temporarily. She's to give me a ring if there's anything she can't deal with herself. Then go into the office and make out a check for cash for the sum of $5,000. Then carefully, but carefully, Hillary, remove absolutely everything that might subsequently remind me that you had ever been there, including that yellow thing with the blue bulbs which you have such an affection for. Then take the check for $5,000, which I feel you deserve, and get permanently lost. It's not that I don't want to know you, Hillary, although I don't. It's just that I'm afraid we're not really the sort of people that you can afford to be associated with. Don't speak, Hillary. Just go. I would argue that this, in 1967, is absolute. this is a radical film. For 1967, not just because of the time, but the fact that you have Hollywood royalty in here, like doing these things like and there's some gutsy moves here. Like it would be very easy for you to cast Spencer Tracy, who is absolutely phenomenal in this movie, by the way, just one of my favorite performances of his. It would be very easy to cast him in this role where he was just like, I'm not racist. I'm just scared for your future. Right. right, which is how it starts. But that scene, you know, after he's getting his boysenberry ice cream, and he just like, as they're driving away, mm-hmm. I mean, and that's the undercurrent of racism that is ever present in this country. Sure. Like, if you were able to put microphones and cameras inside people's cars, um, I think you would be a little horrified at how prevalent the N-word is for white people and how prevalent just racist attitudes are. And you see it, it slips out. When he's yep. angry. It's the truth serum, right? When you're really, really angry, what you really feel is coming out. And I was just like, oh, wow. That was not what I expected when that happened. I mean, it's kind of heartbreaking. Because up until then, even though you're you're rooting for these two to get married and run off together and they seem like a great couple, there's still moments with their parents where you're like, yeah, I mean, yeah, though. <laughs> you right. are going to have to deal with a lot of stuff. And... They are putting a lot of pressure on the parents saying, like, we have to decide by dessert (laughs) whether we're getting married or not, whether you're behind this or not. And speaking of the Sidney Poitier uh, kind of being the most honorable, wonderful, perfect human being, like, also goes to her father and asks for her hand. Like, the ultimate... (laughs) <laughs> that's that's the moment where he bleeds into uh, like in the heat of the night, right? Into the, like the you know the the Tibbs kinds of kind yeah. of stuff. When you realize that he is not just the adult in the room, but he's like the adult on the level of these two powerhouses, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't. There are moments in which I kind of don't love that, as far as like the because then you're, you're looking at the relational dynamics. I mean, he is going behind her back. To yeah, do that. It's yeah. not great. It's a very weirdly paternal move. Pater- yes. Right? Yes. And that's a little, like, as someone in 2023, again, mm-hmm. hopefully more egalitarian relationships, and you're like, uh, and later on in the movie, it gets revealed, and she's like, you did what now? 
and then they just move on from it. Like there's right. no, and there's a scene, I think in that sequence, it's when Spencer Tracy is giving his gigantic speech to the entire room at the end. And basically it's just like, bitch, will you shut the fuck up? Like I'm trying to talk. <laughs> and I'm just like, whoa. <laughs> but she gets to be naive, right? Like she, yes. It, yes. It, it is um, a microcosm of the kind of the racial backgrounds mm-hmm. that they both come into this with, where he understands from the very moment, like, you see him open the door and Catherine Hepburn looks at him. He was like, yeah, see, I told you this was going to happen. <laughs> yes. I, I told you I was going to get side-eyed. I'm getting side-eyed by yeah. the mammy. I'm getting side because I'm, I'm outside of my position here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm getting side-eyed by everyone. And, uh, you know, his fiance is like, I don't, what are you talking about? I'm happy. I'm in love. Right, I, right. People, people aren't going to care. No one's going to look at us weird. And he's like, people have been... I mean, they're, they're, in your own house. <laughs> what are you they, talking about? They're pulling out knives. What are you talking about? And he understands it because even though he's talking about this colorblind uh, idea, he still knows. Yeah. And the whole, yeah. so bringing back that whole colorblind idea, there is a lot of bit of like, men be like this and women be like this in this movie, where it's like the guys are like, well, we should, oh, this is going to be dangerous. And the women are highly emotional and like, but love, you know, (laughs) you know, of course they all come together by the end and they come to Except for the one black, except for the black woman, right? Who's not the dainty, virtuous, uh, she's, she's, she's all the the stereotypes of the mammy. Yeah, totally. So as I was watching this, I, of course, this was the movie I hadn't seen before, so... Um, but I kept thinking like, I'm, I'm way more curious about Derek's thoughts about this than I am my own, given the fact that you are in a marriage with a white woman and probably had, had had circumstances where (laughs) you had to quote unquote meet the parents and so did she. And I was just wondering what, if you're, you know, if that's okay to talk about what your experience of that was. It's not okay to talk about. But I guess here we are now. (laughs) No one listens to this. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, It made me think of a couple of things that have transpired, not just in recent history, but over the 10 years or so that I've been with uh, my my wife. But also a story from high school. Um, so bear with me here. Sure. <laughs> uh, so the first one that, that old I man Stewart has some tales, old man please. Stewart uh, prom uh, prom two thousand and three. Last minute, I'm deciding that I'm going to go. And uh, if you you didn't know, the place that I'm from is uh, not very uh, diverse racially <laughs> or otherwise. Um, and so I remember a young woman. Isn't it kind of Trish. like a? It's kind of bimodal, right? It's like yeah. white or black. Nothing in between. Uh, a lot more white than black. It's... I think it's less than one percent black. Um, oh wow! Okay, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> so, wow. It's, okay, yeah. like almost negative diversity. Okay, got oh, it. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we are uh, overrepresented by uh, you know by uh, in comparison to other I guess racial or ethnic groups. Sure, that's mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's pretty crazy. Uh, so I asked a uh, girl to prom. She's a young uh, uh, white girl, and um, I remember saying, "You're sure you're." Parents won't have any issue with this whatsoever, right, right. and she 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 said, "Oh, of course not." I'm I'm so my excited. parents I, aren't racist. Yeah, my they parents aren't be. racist. Uh-huh. I go home that day because prom is two weeks away, and I, I tell my mom, "I go, mom, I guess I'm going to go to prom now. I've got a date." And my mother says, or "I said, yeah, so we we need to go uh, rent a tuxedo." And she said, "Are you sure she can go with you?" 
Like, that was her first response. Are you sure wow. she is? And I was like, yeah, totally. Of course. I mean, she said it herself. She's 17. She has full autonomy. Of yeah. course she's, we're going. <laughs> Seven-year-old white girl says yeah. she's going. She's going. I, I go back to school the next day, uh, and we are we only had four hallways. We're a very small school, obviously. Uh, so A, B, C, and D were the names of the hallways. They're real inventive. And I walk down hallway C, and I see Trish close the locker and her eyes are as big as saucers since she's been crying the, uh, the entire night before because uh, very similar to Sydney Poitier's wonderful um, fiance she was naive and had no idea until she got the hard truths there right so that was like one of the things that every time I watch this movie I, I, I do reflect on the the other uh, the other thing um, that uh, often just comes to mind is one uh, and this was only a couple of months ago um, I my son is biracial and obviously uh, and I took him to Meyer because I go there every single day of every my day, life. Every, every day. This. this psychopath who shops every day, not once a week. He has so I, little I, to do in his job that he can shop so every day. So little. God, I, I'm so glad that no one that I work with listens to this. Um, so uh, on the way, uh, on the, uh, the exit, right, we're in the, the checkout. And the, uh, the wonderful older lady looks at me and looks at my son, Skylar, and she just said, foster or adopted, right? Like, she she pauses, says, foster or adopted. I, I really wanted to look at her and say, stolen, but I didn't. <laughs> I, I said, uh, I said uh, biological. And she was absolutely horrified, right? Mm-hmm. I go home, and I tell my, my wife, I'm laughing, right? I, I right. think it's hilarious, and she is, I mean, she's, she's furious. She's wanting yep. to go mm-hmm. back and set the entire mire on fire. Uh, <laughs> hey there, that's pretty good. Nice, uh, nice. But, uh... But it, it's, it's, I guess in my mind, it was it, it, in some ways indicative of, even though we've been together for all these, these years, we still look at these, these things. Right. And some of that's gender, obviously, as it pertains to, you know, the, you know, questions of the paternity of a child, right? Like that kind of stuff. Sure. But a, a lot of it is like racially different. Like I understand that he's going to maneuver in this world where people are at times not going to, it's, they're going to look, look at him as racially ambiguous, or he's going to have to identify as uh, as black or white or other or fill mm-hmm. in the blank, all because of a of a decision of matrimony between this black person and this white person, right? And these these are the uh, and again, this isn't a harsh truth. That wasn't a difficult circumstance, especially for him. He's four, but that that was kind of what was hinging on, uh, especially in, in the midway points of the film, like what Spencer Tracy was kind of calling back to, like it's kids. Right. right. The, the poor children are going to have to maneuver in this world with the hardships of being beige colored. Right? <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, it, it's interesting that that story you told, it, it really, I think, highlights a dramatic difference between the black experience in America and the white progressive experience in America. Sure. Like you as a black man, especially in this area of the country. Kind of, I think in some ways you've built, you built up a kind of skin to protect yourself from that. Like, yeah, I, I'm used to people questioning me. I'm used to ignorance. It's just, it's, it comes with the territory. Whereas yeah. we as white progressives are like, how fucking dare they? I'm gonna, I will march down there with my child and I will show them that this oh, is mine. Like, it's just like, uh, mm, chill That's out. Perfect. You? No, it's perfect. Cause I have one more. I've got one more then. My, uh, my wife. Uh, uh, was invited to a family reunion uh, on her side of the family a couple weeks ago. She didn't, she didn't go, but she has a cousin from West Virginia who has a new boyfriend. 
uh, in the pictures, uh, the the boyfriend has a humongous Confederate flag tattoo, like right on his his forearm. Oh, and um, my wife is furious about it. She was like, "I can't believe that that Sammy, that's her name of her cousin, doesn't matter. She'll never listen to this. Would uh, would ever um, you know want us to be at some event with her?" Her clearly racist significant other, and with me, with my you know my my black family, my biracial um, son, and she's going off about it. She's she's talking to her mother about it. I'm like, I don't, actually, I don't think you like that. That's not how they're not even processing it in that way. They don't one, they don't care, right? But then right. two, they're not processing it even. I mean, they wouldn't. There's no mental energy that's being spent on. Well, what does this this um uh you know what does this template on this arm mean for? Uh, how people would perceive it in the context of 2023 or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. They don't. And if you did say something, they would kind of call you out for being, um, you know, hypersensitive about something that was in no way, shape or form racist. I'm saying what I'm trying to explain to you, Ashley, is why people don't view it that way. Right. In large, you know, you know what I mean? Like yeah. they yeah. don't view it that way. And so I may look at it that way, but don't be surprised that they don't look at it in the lens that I would ever look at it. Right, right. right. So, yeah, it's yeah. that it's that lack of insight about this iconography. Like, if sure. you if you sat down to actually think about it, which most, frankly, let's be real, most people with a tattoo like that, strangely, have not thought about it with no. any kind of depth. They, I think, there are people that see it as quote unquote Southern pride, but if they took half a second to think about what it actually means, like, oh yeah, that is super fucking racist. Like, that's, there's really no way around it. And by the way, the line that we were talking about in the film, where you have this progressive white man um, where his racism slips out. I just found it. What the hell is it today? Less than 12% of the people in this city are colored people. I can't even have a dish of Oregon boosenberry without running into one of them. And it's like, why is it so awful for you to run into a colored person? Sure. Why? Wow. Like, and you will hear this, like it is the thing when you put because I think Men like that, women like that, their hearts are in the right place. They do truly believe in the progressive ideals. But white supremacy and white as normal is so ingrained in this culture that it does come out in those moments, especially. And I think it's very interesting that they set this in San Francisco, um, kind of the height of progressive. Because it would be much easier, I think, for people to swallow if you set this in the middle of the country somewhere like they're this person who happens to be progressive what a strong upstanding person progressive in you know when being surrounded by non-progressives but this is a progressive in a progressive city like this is you know this is not you know iowa or texas this is california like the height of progressive ideals so for even this man who has his heart in the right place and cares about you know the troubles of black people in america still we have this kind of attitude slip out when he's upset you know and it's just like man this is right it's like it's there are moments as you mentioned that are cringeworthy there are moments that and it's not even that they're cringeworthy they're just dated right like we do have we have to understand the context of what was going on in 1967 like of course people were not as progressive in 1967 as we are in 2023 that's how progression (laughs) works so it makes perfect sense um but there are certain things in here that are still kind of whip smart and really have an impact like when you yeah i think strangely it's really it could be seen as corny or cheesy but the scene where she talks about, have you forgotten how much you love your wife? That scene really, really works. And that actress owns Spencer Tracy in that yeah. moment. And it's just yeah. like, 
wow, like it's really, really effective and it's over the top and it's, you know, it's smoothing over rough edges that are always going to be there when you're talking about interracial relationships, especially in the late 60s, early 70s. But I think that stuff really works. And I like, I do like, even though I kind of called it out, I like that we have the dads reacting in a similar way and the moms reacting in a similar way. It shows that they married exactly who they were supposed to. Sure. It balances it out. I think that stuff works mainly. Let me ask you this. How do you feel? Because you do have, again, these huge, uh, massive presence type actress, Mm -hmm. actors in these roles. I mean, Hepburn and Tracy. I mean, this is... (laughs) And then you compare it to... Uh, Sidney Poitier's parents, and they're kind of Who? flat and stiff. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. and again, it's again. Let's let's go back to the the movie poster, the premise, the expectation that the film is about Sidney Poitier coming to dinner, and it's really not. Like you said, it's about his parents, because as our uh, podcast friend Jared uh, would say, that's what uh, tears it. Uh, you know, it's the parents, right? It's the parents. That's what that's what kills it. Um, but. Then when you see them, it's, and they're introduced to the film, I don't know if it's the dialogue, I don't know if it's the act, I don't know, but they are f- much flatter, and you feel mm-hmm. that yeah. in their interactions, and it's something that, like, always, like, it creeps up in my brain when I'm watching this film, like, okay, mm-hmm. here come the mom and dad, uh, kind of like the, um, the, the incredibly, incredibly, like, poor man's version of our other parents, right? Um, and mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's what they're given in, in a lot of ways, but I do agree with you. Like they, they do mirror the, the, the father's mirror, the mother's mirror. Right. What do you think about the, the fact that, that there is kind of a spectrum in how people are perceiving this union because you have the priest that has a different perspective on it. Uh, obviously Catherine Hepburn, I mean, it only takes her really 10 minutes to be like, Oh okay. yeah. Yeah. How do you, you love him? About- he loves you. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Is this from a different film if you essentially have literally every person kind of at the Spencer Tracy level or close to it? Um, yeah, it would make for a much more difficult situation for the couple, um, but it's, I mean, it's a different film, right? If you go right. that route. Yeah, I mean, I think it becomes like wildly combative. Like it becomes a, you know, a Tennessee Williams play as opposed to what yeah. we have here. And by the way, I just looked up William Rose is a writer, looks white as white can be, square jawed. Corn fed from Jefferson City, Missouri. Like, that's okay. Yeah, that absolutely tracks. But I think uh, another, it's not an issue. I think one of the reasons we have such stock characters as Mr. and Mrs. Prentice is one, because there's already too much combativeness going on, but two, because they're not in the movie as much. So you don't really have the time to have them change their minds. It is a little, it is a little irksome. That what it takes to change their minds is like, let the old man, old white man talk. Just let him, you know, take off his glasses and really point his finger at everyone. And really, I have come to an understanding and let me share it with you. And now everything is okay. And it's a little like, oh, it's a great speech and wonderfully performed. It's lovely. But there is a little bit of like, uh, why are you the only one talking, bro? Like, this is. Well, they are at his house. He runs it. He does. He does not run that house. <laughs> no, the women not. run that house for sure. Yeah. It, well, I mean, you, I mean, you could have had. I guess. I mean, it, it, it doesn't play the same, especially again for the time in '67. If it's Poitier, Poitier's dad that uh, gives this big, uh, you know, if he goes preachifying, because that's exactly mm-hmm. how they would have they would have set that up. 
um, yep. for the entire group. I don't know if that's going to appeal, uh, you know, not just to the characters in the film in the same way, uh, but to audiences. Um, you, you had to have this screen legend who was born in whatever, 1900, 1904, who, who carries that cachet and that weight. Right. Yeah. Um, totally. I get, I mean, you could have still had, I mean, Hepburn do that as well. Um, but yeah, yeah. But I don't think, given what the process of the movie is, that doesn't really work, right? Because right. she's already, she started there. He's traveled to this place and finally been like, oh, I finally get it now. I was wondering also what you thought. And this is, of course, there are shades of, I mean, it's the other way around. Get Out has shades of this, for sure. Mm-hmm. There's some moments. And one of them is kind of like the internalized racism, right? You have a pretty... Ooh, pretty roughly stereotypical, as you said, Mammy character sure. here, kind of going in on Sidney Poitier and using some choice language and, you know, telling, essentially telling him, like, get in your place. Like, wh- why are you making this harder for the rest of us by trying to better yourself, essentially? Sure. You have a you have a little bit of that in, in Get Out, right? Um, so I was wondering, like, what your reaction is to that and how that's kind of, if your reaction to that has changed in... Uh, classic cinema versus modern cinema because it still seems to hold pretty strong in movies uh, like this, this kind of internalized process. Well, because I think it also holds... Uh, it, it is connected to the realities of, you know, people of color in the present, right? Like, mm-hmm. and in the past, right? Like, this, this idea that um, you are you're either a sellout or you... You know, why, why doesn't he have a, he's a doctor. He's doing all these wonderful things. Why isn't he married to a black woman? Mm, Right? Like, like you could, like, you could go in that particular route or you could just say that she's saying, listen, I've been at this place, this status my entire life. Uh, I have reared, uh, the, the children. I I may have even breastfed them, uh, in slave days they did. Um, and so who are you? Now to come in, you're um, you're supposed to be on my level, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and yeah, there's there, there's still some elements of that. But I, again, I go back to from a uh, societal perspective. That's also some of the relational dynamics I see even within uh, racial groups in the present. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's I don't know. I don't view it as like out of place or hokey or odd or or weird. I mean, it's no different than like. Django, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you saw, or Boondocks. Like there's, there's even in there's always kind of this joke in you know black culture that there there's there's one of them, right? There's always there's always one that that's a uh, a house slave that'll do anything for the man that will do anything for uh, a white mommy or daddy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you, I've even experienced some of those. I know this is odd. Uh, some of those situations where in the rare times I've worked with other black coworkers, it's still a largely white uh, establishment and environment. And you still always have those moments where you side-eye the one black person that is too chummy-chummy with like all white management. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like, oh, are you really, like even in moments of just normal conversation, are you ready to, um, to sell me out just so you can be the one? Like, mm-hmm. the, you know, the one token that, because that, there's always going to be just one. You can't have two. And that's kind of even the situation she was, she was, she may have even been thinking was seeing him there like, no, I've, I've been there one black, mm-hmm. right? Because there's only one of us that will get accepted that won't be mistreated. They'll, they'll take care of me. What are you doing? You can't, this right. is my space. Um, and so, yeah, it's, I don't really cringe when I see those just because it's, it's kind of on, on, I'd say, 
not really on brand, but but so pervasive in yeah. Black and there's a version of it still now, still. like you mentioned. Yeah, sure. absolutely. I, and we're just going to pass over the fact that you insinuated that Catherine Hepburn did not breastfeed her children. That's it's a really strange hill for you to die on. But oh, here we yeah. are. Uh, let me just keep it PG. I don't. I don't yeah. uh, because my, my brain's starting to go in some, some directions that I'll just wait till later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll do that off air. Absolutely. Off air. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I walked out of this, like, kind of really glad that I watched it. Because we had spent so long not recording, I actually watched it again before this recording. And, you know, the and it's one of those, I don't feel like it changes much with rewatch, but, but things get more solidified in your mind. And I think I'm a little more forgiving of it on the second watch than I was on the first yeah. watch, like that cringiness and that, oh, this 2023 lens. And I think it's, if you're going to be kind of a student of film and watch older films, like you kind of have to be aware of, you know, what's going on at the time and what the attitudes were. And for this time, this was wildly progressive, well-performed, well-written. And I think I, I kind of wish there was a, a newer version of this that wasn't an out and out comedy. Um, I think there's a lot to be explored in any situation like this when you have, you know, two families coming together from opposite ends of whatever spectrum. It could be about class. It could be about race, really anything. And I think there's a lot of things to explore and kind of pick apart. Um, and I'd love to see like a 2025 version of this because I think I think that idea of white progressiveness, it, it's changed, but the attitudes are still pretty similar. And I think, you know, I think, you know, MLK talked about like the, the greatest danger was the white progressive. Like I know where the racists stand, the ones who are out and out with their racism. I, I know where you're at and I, I appreciate it. It's like when people put up, you know, certain political signs in their yard, I'm like, good. Okay. I know, I know what you are. <laughs> you're, it's very clear. We're not going to hang out. We're not going to barbecue together. Good. You stay over there. I'll stay over here. But the people who, are speaking with progressive mindsets because it is the quote unquote right thing to do, whether they believe it or not, those people are a little more difficult to deal with. Um, yes. and, a, and we know more them. of a danger. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, we, we do. We, we talk absolutely. to them every day. Yes. Uh, we talk to them every day. You Sad should, but true. You should have been at my wedding, Dave. You, if you want, um, guess who's coming to dinner, uh, 2017. Because uh, it's it is like the I, there used to be a video that was very similar, and I joked to my wife that that was going to be the case of uh, all of the white people uh, sitting during the reception, and then like all of the black people dancing. My, it was a, it was DJed by my my sister who was a former DJ for about 25 years, and uh, there's a lot of it, I'll just say it was a microcosm of of the tale of two Americas. Right. Uh, right. Inclu- including our friend group. In- yes, including some of the I people believe we it. know sitting uh, at a table and I'd look over, right? I'm, you okay I'm, over so there? I'm, I'm shuffling. You know, me and Jared. It's just me and Jared over here. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. All right. So uh, on our next episode in a couple of weeks, we will continue our discussion of race relations in uh, a little bit rougher uh, film. Uh, we're going to be talking about Sweet Sweet Max, Badass Song. Who, who decided this, that we that were going to go me. back to back? Oh, God. Me, yes. Finally get a Criterion oh. movie on here. Some quality. Let's oh, go. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so that's what we'll be talking about next time. Um, I don't know where you can watch it. I'm sure it's on Amazon and, you know, uh, you can rent it on Amazon. If you're if you're a real progressive, you would have bought this already on Criterion. Oh. Like Dave, the Melvin Bed People's Collection is available for you to purchase. So make sure you do that and we will talk to you next time. 
next time. Uh, you can find, strangely, both of us on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Darn That Dave. Uh, Derek is at Day Stew. You can also follow us on Letterboxd. We'll talk to you next time.